You're listening to the City Lights Podcast. City Lights is a church located in Greenville, South Carolina, devoted to building family, blessing neighbors, and bringing good news to the nations. Thanks for joining us. I was watching a, a, a podcast, like a watching a podcast, I was watching a video of, of this podcast. I'm not going to mention the name, it's pretty famous, but uh, anyways, uh, is this like celebrity that was on there. Uh, just caught my ear. Um, I don't know why. I think celebrities say this kind of stuff all the time, and it's this is the way the culture is and the way the culture goes, but this guy's on there, and um, he starts making this argument. Um, it stuck out to me. I don't know why, but it just makes this argument that, like, prostitution should be legalized. He, like, puts this thesis point. I think, you know, you get the shock and all value, and it's probably why everybody listens to the podcast. There's a celebrity guest that gets on there. He's like, yeah, prostitution should be legal, and, and his basis is that uh, he says, well, prostitution is the oldest, you know, business in the book, and that's actually pretty historically accurate, and he says, uh, he says, you know, in all honesty, like, uh, everybody's kind of in some level, you know, prostituting, you know. In some level, we're all kind of using, uh, you know, our personalities and our bodies and sex and things like that to, like, get what we want. And, you know, you look at all these, like, you know, young girls that are married to all these old guys, and it's hard to really delineate even the line, you know, between where prostitution, like, actually starts. And he starts going on this thing. And then he says this thing that just reminded me so much of the passages we're about to read. He's going, you know, like... Um, Basically, like, there's an actual thing where, you know, they went to the zoo and they taught these, like, animals, uh, monkeys, actually, like, uh, the value of money. And the very first thing that they, they used this money for was to, to prostitute, to use, you know, money for, for sexual uh, engagement and things like that. And I just thought, man, like, there's a thing in our culture right now, um, it's called vice signaling. And the sociologists uh, recognize the fact that Celebrities, public figures, even us in our day-to-day living um, actually get rewarded more for projecting vice uh, than we do for um, talking about good things or, or portraying virtue. It's this idea, I think, um, because of the ongoing uh, disillusionment and distrust with the idea of true goodness and virtue, that when somebody starts like saying like um, uh, evil or negative or sinful things, that all of a sudden... Uh, for some weird reason in our culture, we, we gravitate towards that as though it's good because it's real. Like at least that uh, all of the kind of placating, and he's you know, arguing on this podcast, the religiosity of, of humanity and to fake like we're good and to fake like we're more than animals and to act like we have this dignity and this God design to it. It's all a farce. It's all a fake. And, and we, should all, we should all just sort of get to the business of just admitting the real fact that we're all just animals and we ought to just act like uh, the way that we've been designed to do. And so the sociologists talk about even politicians these days and celebrities and, and, and lots of people um, are, are cueing into this idea that if you just project this idea of we're all animals and the best thing I can share with you is the worst parts of myself because at least it's honest and authentic, that our society has collectively decided to actually uplift that and redefine what we decide is right and wrong, good and evil based on uh, kind of this, this, this brokenness and this, this hurt and this angst, I think, of, of, of feeling um, that virtue is fake, fake, that it's false, that it's pseudo. And so um, we're going to look at, uh, in Genesis 4, and the, uh, the end of Genesis 4 and the beginning of Genesis 5, um, an important divergence of family lines. So you guys are going to roll your eyes because I'm going to read through a genealogy literally today. And as much as you're bored with it, I was like struggling with the Lord of why does this matter? First uh, Timothy says that all scriptures God breathed, and that's what's really beautiful about just walking through the scriptures and just allowing it to like, you know, wrestle with you and, and to teach you things in places you didn't think and expect to find hope and grace and, and goodness in. 
But we're going to look at two family lines, and, and I want to connect them to the, the, the curse that we've talked about earlier in Genesis 3.15, if we could get that on the screen. When the humans fell, um, there was um, a, a prognosis that God gave over all humanity, and he gave this, um, he gave, he, he gave this proposition, this idea that into the future there's going to be this promise. It's, it's listed in Genesis 3.15, and it's a little bit kind of... Um, Vague. It's a little bit uh, cryptic. Uh, Genesis 3.15, it's on the screen. It says this. He says, I will put enmity. This is God speaking to the serpent, uh, the one who tempted Eve. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. Enmity meaning strife or, or fighting or conflict. I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman. I'm going to um, cause this this ongoing battle and struggle to wrestle out through time between your offspring and hers. And at the end of all of it, it'll culminate into this promise that he will crush your head, uh, the seed of the, uh, of the woman. He, the son of the woman, one of the sons in the lineage of the woman, will crush the head of the serpent, but not before you will strike his heel. And that's all that, that, that's said. That's all that's given to these people. Um, and so what, what we see then is uh, in, in Cain and Abel uh, that we read last time in the beginning of Genesis 4 is this, this fight, this, this uh, ultimately brutal uh, murder and uh, this, this rage and revenge that Cain uh, ushers onto his brother because of his um, jealousy of the offering that he gave, gave to God and the favor that he received because of it. And so what we see there is, is the, right around the corner from Genesis 3, from that promise into Genesis 4, is the beginning of that promise coming to life. There is a seed of, of the serpent, and then there's the seed of the woman, and, and they begin to have enmity right there on page 4 of the Bible. And, and so what we see, if you remember, that the promise that God made to Cain, the warning, it sounded like this. He said, um, Cain, why are you so downcast? You remember this is from last week. Why are you so downcast? Don't you know if you do what is good, you'll be accepted? But if you don't, he says, if you don't, there, there is sin. There is a creature, sin, uh, and is crouching at your door. So, so it's not just a passive um, legal um, marking on someone's record. It is an animated object. And that animated object, it desires you. It says it desires you. And that word desire is, is actually, it's it's and so bear with me, and if you will, but, but it's a sexual in nature desire. I mean, I, I really do think it's why our culture talks about cars and shoes and watches as being sexy. Like, what does that mean? I mean, it's just this non-intellectual, irrational drawing that you have that doesn't really match your budget or wisdom. It just has this draw to you. And so there's this desire that in chapter 3 of the Bible, Eve desired the fruit. Now the fruit desires Cain. So this thing just came alive, and it's actively pursuing Cain. And, and desire is also used, the woman desires the husband and he will rule over her. And desire is used in Song of Solomon and all these kind of sexual relational ways. And it's not on accident because the purpose of that word is to say that, that the desire becomes animated. Another party that, that is flirting with you and it comes onto you, into you, and then it sort of creates a fruit out of you. Do you see how that worked? That it multiplied. So, so it's not just that sin is an accident. Sin becomes a force and a power, and then sin becomes an, a cooperating partner with you to create babies of evil. I mean, I don't mean to sound weird in church this morning, right? But that's literally what it's, what it's essentially saying, is that it's creating fruit. It's creating seeds. And so Jude, and, and first John, let me read a couple of these. Jude, I think it's 111, woe to them. They have taken the way of Cain. 
the family line of Cain. It's not snakes versus animals. It's sin versus humans. Sin versus humans. What they're saying is the seed of the serpent isn't like one last name like the Johnsons or something like that. The seed of the serpent is these people over time that will be tempted, they'll be lured, and then be incapacitated by, become prisoners of that kind of sin. And and they call it the way of Cain. 1 John, uh, I think it's chapter 311, um, it says this, for this is the message. He's talking about loving your brother. You heard from the beginning, you got to love your brother. And of course you're thinking, boy, loving brothers, instantly you're hyperlinked to Cain and Abel. Don't be like the brother like Cain. Don't be that kind of a brother. Don't be that seed is what the scripture is interpreting. That was the fulfillment of, of the enmity there. There was an enmity and there was a strife and a battle and there was a bruiser and a crusher. Uh, but but it's, the story is misleading in terms of who is the bruiser and who is the crusher. But then there's a second line and we're going to look at the lines basically. That's the genealogy part. If you look at uh, Genesis just below that, chapter 4, after uh, Cain uh, is going to move off and it goes through his genealogy, it talks about a second generation. So Adam had, you know, Cain and Abel, and then there's a third son who is an unexpected son that replaces the line of Abel. That Abel, Abel's blood falls on the ground and cries out for justice. But God offers his mercy and his provision in this third son named Seth. And he's got a family line, and that's what we'll look at as the two family lines. But this is the, the premise of the second, uh, the third son of Cain and Abel, named, or, excuse me, of Adam and Eve, named Seth. And this is what it says about him. Adam made love to his wife again, and she gave birth to a son named Seth, saying, God has granted me. His name means anointed. His name means concession. Cain, uh, Cain meant acquired. Abel meant vapor. And Seth meant gift, anointed gift. He granted me another child in the place of Abel, since Cain had killed him, Seth also had a son, and uh, his name was Enosh. And so for Bible quizzes in the future, Enosh is what you want for that one. And so, and so what you have is, is, is a story told through the names. It, it, it's, it's, behold, I have acquired a son with the help of the Lord. Some scholars think he even, she even thought that she had borne the snake crusher in the first generation. I have acquired the son with a little help from God. By the time she has she has uh, Abel, she says, this is like a vapor. This is like a breath. This is vanity. Because she has understood that just by the early actions of Cain, that this was not the snake crusher. That, that this was not going to be the promised one. And she was not actually acquiring anything for herself. That she was not able to produce an offspring that was going to be the snake crusher. And so she gave birth to a son named Abel. And she said, ah, it's vapor. It's meaningless. It's hevel. It's like, it's like Ecclesiastes. It's all meaningless. It's not really going anywhere. And then this last child is a gift. It's the gift child. It's the one that I didn't deserve. It's received. And so you see that the, we'll get back to this, but the, but the context in which the, the, the child was born and the naming matters greatly in the genealogies. All right, so we'll jump right in. If you're in chapter four now, we're in verse 17. Cain made love to his wife. She became pregnant and gave birth to Enoch. Cain was then building a city and he named it after his son Enoch. Enoch means dedicated. To Enoch was born Irad, which means fugitive. Irad had the father, was the father of Mehujael, destroyed of God. And Mehujael was the father of Methuselah, man of God. And Methuselah was the father of Lamech, also known as the low one. Okay, so, so what do we talk about from that podcast, right? So sin can be a choice, sin can be a character, and sin can be a culture. So sin can be a choice. It starts off with somebody's decision, and then that becomes 
Perpetual choice has become a, a character. It just becomes who I am, an identity. It becomes part of who I am. I'm married to sin in a way. I'm a slave to sin, Paul would say. And after that unchecked, untouched, that becomes part of an entire culture of the way things are. If you guys have ever been part of a family, a church, a marriage, a business, where the, where the leadership of that organization got so loud that it actually was able to twist what's right and wrong. And it's dangerous because you don't know until you're out of that family, that church, that job, that thing. And it's the power of somebody to redesign the culture, redefine right and wrong in a culture for a family is so powerful that you have to get out of it for six months to detox. And you go, how on earth did I ever believe that? That's the power. That's the authority that God has not revoked for man, that he is still a ruler for better or for worse. And so there's becomes this 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 epitome, really, this figure called Lamech that we'll look at here uh, that, that epitomizes not just sin as a choice, sin as a character, characteristic, but sin as a culture. So Lamech, uh, much like the celebrities and, and leaders and some of the people that we deal with, and maybe ourselves on a day-to-day basis, goes out, he marries two women, okay? One, na- one is named Ornament, and the second name is Shady. <laughs> so not trustworthy, I guess. He's giving out the name, so I suppose he can decide. Adah gave birth to Jabal, the mountains. Uh, he was the father of those who live in tents and raise livestock. So Cain's curse is true. He's, he's not within a community and a family. He's just sort of independently isolated and surviving on his own. So these are the people, the nomadic people, the tents that, raise, that live in tents and raise livestock. His brother's name was Jubal, a fertile stream. He was the father of all who played stringed instruments and pipes. And Zillah also had a son, Tubal Cain, which means world government, who forged all kinds of tools out of bronze, I'm sure for weapons, etc., and iron. And Tubal Cain's sister was uh, Namah, which means pleasant. So, so what do we got? We got a guy who is fulfilling the Genesis 1. It's called a cultural mandate. That's what scholars call that. The Genesis 1, be fruitful, multiply, subdue the earth, rule, um, um, keep, bless the, bless the earth. You've got a guy running an upside-down cultural mandate on his own terms. He's naming his things. He's, he's creating cities. He's calling things what he calls them. He is calling wives to himself, and he's making the rules, for better or for worse, for those in and around, in and around his, his family. He is deciding. So he, he, he calls his wife, and there's actually going to be a poem that we'll read that kind of uh, accentuates the culture here. But instead of having you know, two becoming one, Remember, the idea was that marriage was supposed to be two covenant equals paired together in covenant love, that the woman was not above the man, he was not below the man, she was beside the man, and they ruled as co-partners. Now, as one of the things that we see here in the culture, is that the man has come and ruled over the wife and called the wife her name and told the wife who she is and who she's not and all these things. And so there's this upside-down, twisted reinterpretation of the culture, culture, redefining good and evil on his own terms. And, and the wives and the kids in that whole culture in an isolated vacuum don't have access to God, have no understanding that this would be right or wrong. And this whole thing becomes a perpetuating cycle. And, and he lives in this, in this kind of dog-eat-dog, nat, you know, Charles Darwin species selection thing where it's like, yeah, we eat the fruit of the animals, we act like animals, we behave like animals, we have sex like animals, we kill each other and fight each other like animals. And out of this comes a culture. And we know that because there's a poem, and poems, you know, accentuate that. So look at this poem. This is beautiful, right? you got Genesis 1, you got the marriage poem, which is awesome, and then the curse poem, which is awful, and then you got this fourth poem, which is all about the city of Cain. Lamech says to his wives, Adah and Zillah, listen to me. 
listen, listen, listen is always a big thing in, in the Old Testament. Listen just means authority. We listen to God. You know, Cain and, or Adam was cast out of the garden because he listened to his wife. Because you listen to your wife. Who are you listening to? The Shema, the great prayer of all the Jewish, you know, days is always like, listen, the Lord, oh God, you know, Israel, the Lord, oh God is one. You know, that's the idea is listening. Who has authority? You listen to me is what he says to his wives, right? So that's, that's the authority line. Wives of Lamech, hear my words. I have killed a man for wounding me. I have uh, a young man um, I have killed for injuring me. If Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech is avenged 77 times. You see the number play there, seven and 77. Those are big b- biblical words. And, and what's he done there? He, is, he has mocked the mercy of God on Cain's life. He's saying to, to everybody that would hear that uh, the mercy that, he, that, that, that God offered Cain um, is, is to be mocked. It's, actually, it's, it's not actually grace. It's actually kindness. It's not goodness. It's actually weakness. And so if, if God loved Cain for killing people, man, he's going to love me. Um, uh, because, 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 I, because I have done what Cain has done seven times over, and I'm going, to be, I'm going to be honored and glorified 77 times. In other words, he's saying there is no God. He's saying people that believe in God are weak. And he's saying that uh, the only God is our stomach. The only God is who wins. The only God is who has victory. That's the culture he's creating. And look at this. Seven times 77, as Jesus says that we should forgive people seven times 77, he's saying, I will kill and revenge seven times 77. So what's he saying? He's saying at the beginning of time, God created the seventh day to be complete, complete rest. That was the idea. The seventh day represents completeness where God sits on his throne he shows his authority. The garden is finished. The temple is established. Man, which never entered his rest because they did not obey him. They, they sinned before he entered, they entered into his rest. God occupied a sense of rest that his work was done. That was his shalom finish line at the end of the, the, the seven days when he rested. But what's he saying here? He's going, in the same kind of upside-down culture that God created a perfect, complete rest, he's creating a perfect and complete revenge. A perfect and complete rest meant that there was stability and shalom and beauty and harmony. But under the reign of Cain, under the reign of Lamech, under the reign of this sinful city is going to be this place of perfect revenge where one empire would grow to conquer another empire and hold their power until another empire would go and take their empire down and hold power for a while. And whether it be the Assyrians or the Babylonians or the Egyptians or the Romans or the Greeks that he was going to be almost this father of a second seed, second way of life, an alternative path and destination other than the path of God that would wait for Sabbath rest to come in in its fullness. That's where the Jews celebrate even today, the Sabbath. The Sabbath is a reflection and a celebration of the Sabbath that God established on the seventh day and a looking forward towards a new creation of Sabbath established fully here on earth. And Lamech just says, that's never coming. All that we'll have is perfect revenge. We'll never have perfect rest. That's all we can hope for. It's all we can expect. We're only animals after all. And so we might as well take what we can, when we can, how we can. But there's a second line. There's a second line. And this is my just summary point there if we haven't said it enough. But Cain's choice becomes his character and character becomes his family culture. This is, this is the, the line. We can experience this today. This is, this is all over the news. We don't have a hard time looking in any direction to find the imprint of Lamech. Because it's not Lamech. It's, it's from another place. It's from another animated force that animates others and continues on. There's a line that continues on. But there's a second line. Adam made love to his wife again, and she gave birth to a son and named him Seth, saying, God has granted me 
She receives it so differently. She receives the second son so differently. In the biblical narrative, we'll continue to see this with the patriarchs. It's it's never the first son because it's the nature of human beings to always expect they can accomplish things in their own strength until God wears them out into an exhaustion to realize they've got nothing except for God in, in them in the first place. That's the beautiful place to be. And you see it right here. It's right here. Look. He's granted me this other son. She, she approaches it. And look what happens as a result of this family, this character, this culture. It's a culture, not just of like doing the right thing. It's a, it's a culture of understanding I can't do anything without him. This is the culture. This is the seed that is created out of the Seth line. It says right there in verse 26, at that time, people began to call on the name of the Lord. For the very first time, like this is Adam and Eve. They were the first to disobey, the first to distrust, but now they're the first to repent. And they're the first to trust. And their family is actually is, is starting. I mean, what, what, what is that? What's in the air? I mean, it should have been all cursed. It should have been all blackout. It should have been all ugly. It should have been all vindictive and venomous and perfect revenge. Completely complete revenge. No rest. No rest for the weary. No grace. No mercy. But yet still here, seeping through the pages, is, is, is this, this, this grace, this blessing that seems to make its way into the line. Okay, so, it's, so they call on the name of the Lord. No one knows why, no one knows how, but they just, there's a repentance that's a gift from God that hits the hearts of people. And we see that even Genesis 1, the blessing, is never forgotten. I mean, it's mourned, and it is um, something that the people fully understand. And you look at the lineage here, they don't have within their hands, but they're reminded, and they're reminding themselves from one generation to the next, the mistakes of Cain and the promises of God. And they're reminding themselves as they call in the name of the Lord, teaching their children for a thousand years in the scope and sequence of this uh, genealogy. This is what the Genesis 5 starts off with. It's almost like, a, it's almost like a, a, a trip down memory lane. It's almost a reminiscence. Chapter 5, verse 1, this is written on account of Adam's family line. When God created mankind, he made them... In the likeness of God, he created them male and female, and he blessed them. This is how it starts. Like, they can't talk about the line of Seth, even within the curse, without talking about the blessing. That's all that they know. They, that's all that they, they have in their gut, in their knowers. They, they don't see the blessing, but they're believing about the snake crusher, and they're seeing God hand out coverings for Adam and Eve, and they're seeing God leaving marks on Cain, and they're just going, I don't have a reason to believe this, but I just I choose to believe it. I don't know why. I've got something in my knower. And, and so they're saying, this is who we're from. I don't know if we'll ever go back there. We're certainly not home right now, but we got to remember where we're from. And we're not going to name our kids after the cities, and we're not going to name our kids after our own name. We're going to trust there's going to be a name, and that trust is actually going to be rewarded because in Genesis 15, when Abraham hits the scene, he's like, I don't want you to go earn your name. I know, I know you need a name. I know you need a name. I know you need an identity. I know you need a home, but I don't want you to take it for yourself. I don't want you to name your own city and name your own kids. I want me to name you. I'm going to give you a great name. I'm going to give you a better name. I'm going to give you a better land and a better inheritance. They don't know that yet, though. This is pre-covenant, pre-law. They just got something in their gut. And, and, and they're just like, this is where we're from. we got to remember. And then look what it says. When Adam lived 130 years, and I don't know what to tell you about how long they lived. Maybe they juiced better. I don't know why. They, I looked and tried. There's no answer. I mean, some people think it's a metaphor. I mean, I, the, the, really, the, the most loud thing and the kind of repetitive highlight that you're, you'll see in the, in the lineage for these people would have just been the fact that they died, to be honest. But we'll get back to that in a second. So he says he created them. Remember this? Remember, you're not like Lamech. You're supposed to be male and female. You're supposed to serve others. others. You're supposed to be two 
separate others serving each other the way that the Trinity is, and your partners and your co-heirs, and this is your identity. You're a royal priesthood. Remember this, who you are. When Adam had lived 130 years, he had a son in his own likeness. So that's there important, right? Because it's just saying that like people aren't just copies of copies of copies. They're not Xeroxes. Like every person that's being born on, at the Memorial Hospital on floor four right now is, is a reminder that God has fused himself with human history and that every single one of those people came exactly from his hand in his image. We're not copies of copies of copies of copies of copies. Beyond the curse, we continue to bear the image. We continue to be the direct representation. If you want, he's saying you know, to, to earth even today, if you want to see me, I'm not a statue in the middle of a temple. I'm a human being in the middle of a garden. If you want to see what I'm like, that's the only place I'll, I'll show it to you. I'll reveal it to you. And so that's exactly what all these people are, beyond the curse. They're still in his image. They're still in his image. And I'm not going to read all these, all these names, but you've got Seth, and I think they're highlighted up here, and I just wrote down the names of the meanings of the names so you could kind of see that they're naming them off of this repentance theme. Seth was named gift. Enosh was named mortal. That The realization that without this promise that somehow we are going to die in a way we shouldn't have died. And then at the very end, I have it highlighted, they died. And that's truly the way that whenever the, the culture would have read it, I mean, they would have been so close and, and viscerally connected to the idea of life. And did somebody get the tree? And how do we get back to the, uneat the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil? How do we manage this curse? How do we get back to the blessing? It was just this perpetual, discouraging reminder that the curse is not going anywhere, that we're continually dying. We're continually dying. And on and on and on it goes for a thousand years. And Kenan's name is Possession, and Mehalel, his name is Praise of God, and Mehalel has Jared, and Jared means descent. I'm sorry for the slides if I'm probably running you guys ragged back here, but there's a lot of these names, right? Jared means descent, and Jared has a son named Enoch, and Enoch means dedicated, and they live for 962 years. And they have all these kids, and then there's one named Selah, a man of Selah, a man of peace, a man of rest, in the middle of a curse. I mean, what kind of a parent has a baby in the middle of a curse, but then names the baby rest in the culture of revenge? I mean, it's kind of asking for punishment, right? But here are these people. They're just these faithful remnant few. And then, and then something crazy happens. Verse 21, when Enoch, uh, which means dedicated, had lived 65 years, he became the father of Methuselah. After he became the father of Methuselah, Enoch walked faithfully with God for 300 years, and then he just disappeared. Verse 23, altogether, Enoch lived 365 years, and Enoch walked so faithfully with God, with, with God that he was no more. He just, they just took him away. He was that good. He must have been a great choir singer. I don't know. They took him. They don't explain it. You know, and Hebrews explains that there's faith here. We don't know. We don't know. How do they know this? I don't know. It's supposed to, sh it's supposed to share this like downward march of time. This really sad, you know, in the movies when there's like a montage and they're trying to speed up the plot and just show you, you know, uh, League of Their Own, they're winning all the baseball games and in, in the notebook, they're just, they keep making out and they're falling in love, I guess, or whatever. And there's this montage that is supposed to show you the story in extra speed. It's supposed to show you the theme. And if this is what the theme is, it's just people dying. I mean, that's the thing. It's like, it's this sad remembrance that um, if, this is, if this is supposed to be like a, an anthropological project, like in a thousand years, you ain't getting out of this curse. I mean, there's people that try and there's people that are walking with God and talking with God, but there's just no undoing of the curse as hard as you try. And then we're going to, if you guys like this sermon, we're going to talk about Noah next week, and that'll just scare you guys all the way in the flood. But I mean, then it's like, here's the most righteous guy, and then he gets drunk at the end. 
And his kids like, you know, like that's the whole thing is the, out of this list, we're going to get to know in this, in this list. He is the most righteous. He walks faith with God. And they're like, nobody walks with God. Everybody's heart is evil. But then there's Noah and he's friends with God. He's so awesome. And then he gets drunk and his kids are a mess. I mean, that's essentially what it's saying. It's like, it's like he's, it, it's, 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 it's not just telling, it is showing a perpetual, you know, conglomeration of data points that show you when the Bible says that all have fallen short of the glory of God, it's not like, you know, hyperbole. It's a reality. It's like, it doesn't matter how nice you are. There's like the really bad guys over with Lamech, and then there's like some decent guys in Seth's line, but they all die anyways. It's a pretty depressing message. You know, happy Sunday. Like, that's what this thing is saying. That's what it's, that's, that's honestly, you know, what it's saying. But, but yet still, right? If we get a picture of the, of the, I think I sent a picture of, of the chart, the poster that we, and the Bible Project poster, by the way, is out in the lobby if you want to take a look at this. Um, I was so proud. My kids, like, drew pictures of these and sent them into the Bible Project, and they sent them these awesome big books of all the books of the Bible. And now my kids, like, watch these YouTube videos, and I'm just, like, trying to take credit for it. So, um. So there's an invisible, invisible spiral that's moving upwards, though, right? Like, this is what Genesis 3 to 11 is supposed to show. It's, it's constant little motifs and portraits of continual rebellion. It's, it's showing Genesis 3 in different places. Big, small, little, all over. It's just continual disobedience. It's continual hard hearts. It's just, it's, it's not even, it's not, not a mistake or a glitch in the system. It's a perpetual nature that finds its way. And here's the thing. When you look at the Bible Project notebook, they have all the different things and pretty much everything before Jesus. It's just repeated stories of this. So Genesis 1 through 11 is actually just a, a, it's a little summary point of the rest of the Bible. That's what you know, Exodus is going to do and Judges is going to do and they thought the kings were going to do it and they, and they all continue to spiral down. But what's there though? What's there is that it, depending on how you read it, I tended to be the one that read it this way and Kyra was like, no, don't preach, them, preach to them that way. But she was like, but there's a spiral that goes upwards too. And we don't see it. It's between the lines. It's between the pages. And, 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 and so here it is. Verse uh, 28. When Lamech had lived 182 years, he had a son. He named him Noah, no, uh, which means uh, Nuach. Um, he will comfort us in the labor and painful toil of our hands caused by the ground um, that the Lord has cursed. Nuach, is, is, um, it's actually used twice, I think, in, in Genesis 1 and 2. Maybe a little bit more, but... Um, the first one is he, um, he rested Adam uh, as he took his rib out of him. Remember that? When he made uh, the woman to be by his side, he rested Adam, Noah. And, and then the second one, and this is probably most important, is that it says in Genesis 2 that he, uh, he made the garden. Remember, there's a second account of humans being made in a different kind of aspect. And he says he rested the man. He put the man, he nuach the man into the garden to bless and to keep it. So what does nuach mean? Nuach actually means, it's more than rest. Rest means putting your feet up, you know, on Sundays. That, that's like Sabbath, to cease, you know. That's, that's one part of Sabbath. But nuach is actually, it means, to, um, it, it means to make a home. It means to settle in. So, for example, like, uh, you know, if, I was, if it was the pioneer days and I was awesome at building houses, which I'm not, uh, I'd be like, babe, Kyra, don't worry. I built us a log cabin, you know, out in Simpsonville. And uh, I built a house, but what I'm asking you to do, like, um, will you work with me? Will you help create a home in this house? See the difference between a house and a home? A house is the structure. A house is the temple. A house is what God has done. But, but what he did with, with Adam is he rested Adam in the middle of that house to build a home. That's what the garden was. It was, I want you to build this home. I want you to nuach in this place. I want you to make this place a home. And that's exactly what, who's making a home in the middle of a curse? 
and they don't believe there's a blessing coming. Somehow they knew. I don't know how. It doesn't say. It doesn't say, but they knew. And the, there was a promise there. The, the Hebrew, Hebrews 11 talks about this, like, this confidence in things not yet seen. And maybe you have this. When you think about Jesus and when you think about what he says in his covenant, I don't know how to tell you about, as Sharon's talking about, the good things. I don't know if good things are going to come, but I do know his goodness is here. I do know that something is, there's something more here. And we have so much more to believe in. I mean, we have the covenants and, and the laws and we have the new covenant and we have the sermons and the healings and the testimonies. We have so much more, but don't you still think we still have more to doubt in as well? Isn't it still hard to really press in and believe? I mean, we looked at these people and you're like, you doofuses, don't eat the apple. Stop killing your brother. Stop, you know, making stringed instruments and playing hateful songs about revenge. Just clean your act up. You know, it's like it's easy to see in hindsight. But I've come to realize it's actually not hindsight, right, that brings 2020. It's faith. It's faith that brings 2020. And there's this thing inside of these people. And I believe this thing inside of us, you know, it's easy to see in hindsight. But if people were to come down to us, they'd be like, don't you see his fingerprint on every page of your life? Don't you see him working? Don't you see him right in the middle of your curse offering blessing? I want to share with you a couple stories uh, to close up here. But... um, in, 19, in the 1960s, uh, China went, over, went through this thing called the Cultural Revolution. Went through a thing called the Cultural Revolution, and it was basically the, 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 you know, the communist um, you know, takeover. And, and, so, and so during that period of time, there was this massive persecution that went on in the Chinese church. And they would, they would get these huge like, bonfires, and they would throw all these Bibles in there, and they'd make the, um, the, the people, the Christians, the pastors, et cetera, like kneel down and watch these people like burn these Bibles. And if they protested, they would just get beat. And sometimes they didn't protest. They would still get beat and those sort of things. And as you guys know, there's been, if you watch Forrest Gump, right, there's a closing off of Chinese politics for a long time. No trade. It's a very isolated, secluded thing. And then they opened the doors back up again. And, and, and this is what they found, right? So 1949, I think I got the dates wrong. I apologize. You know, the Mao takeover, I, it's been a long time since I taught it. But, um, but, but when Mao is over, over China, uh, when, when it started, and they were persecuting and doing the burning and all the thing. It's like there was a million Christians, right? And that's not very much for how many Chinese people there are. Um, did you know by the time it was opened back up, when either Nixon or Forrest Gump opened back up trade relations, relations with, with America, did you know there were 60 million Christians? They were sick under the, some of the most horrendous, I mean, killing, like just mass burials of people based on anybody that blinked an eye at, you know, at Mao versus a Christian who is like resisting them politically, like 60 million people. And, 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 uh, and did you know that actually the fastest growing house church network right now is not China, it's Iran. It's Iran. There are women uh, being raped. There are people being hung. There are pastors being torn out in the streets, beaten. Did you know that that church is growing faster than ever? Okay. So that's, what is the story? What is this story? It's a super sad lineage. It's like the saddest film montage you've ever seen with this like stream of hope weaved through it. That there's this, there's this promise that's being held through. It's the partnership of man and not giving up and relenting of God's blessing. Of Genesis 1, th- you know, promise all the way through Genesis 3, 3 through 11. And that's it, right? There's the whole world, even in our American history, we're the land of, you know, natural rights and the Bill of Rights, and we're also the land of, of uh, Jim Crow. And we are the land of the people that, you know... Um, confronted Hitler and leveraged great you know, military power against obvious evil. And then we also are the only country that's up to date that's bombed people with atom bombs. So right, there's curses and blessings right there. There's curses and blessings. That's in a general sense. But then inside of that, there's a line. There's a lineage of faith. Back then, it was the, it was the 
the ability to, to have babies and still be fed and still work and still, still but, but then die, but then die. And this hope that was far off in the distance. And I think that's, that's where we find ourselves. This is the sermon and sentence that, that closed things up for me. It says, though Cain, I don't know if it made it back because it was my late rendition, but though Cain looked bruised while Abel looked crushed, God used even murder to bring redemption. Cain was the seed of the serpent, but Abel's death did not represent humans being crushed, nor God being crushed. As a matter of fact, between the scenes and between the lines, Abel's murder actually served to mobilize the very movement that would end to crush the serpent. This is the thing. That Satan's, even his evil overplays his hand because God is somehow able to be a curse turner and a serpent killer in every page of the Bible. I don't know how he does it. I don't know how he uses improbable, impossible, uh, and, and, and highly flawed individuals to carry out his task. But the spiral is not going downwards. The spiral is going upwards. That's precisely what the passage is saying. Abel's murder would mobilize the very movement that would crush the serpent, and Abel's death was only a bruise. His blood cried out for justice, which God would bring through mercy. And ultimately, through the line of Seth, who wouldn't have been born if Abel wasn't killed. Does God cause evil? Does he... Did he want Abel to be killed? Is that his first order of business? No, but he will redeem it. He will most certainly absolutely redeem every, every curse and every death and every, every murder and every suicide and every cancer and every, every divorce. He will use anything in this world and he will use that to ultimately become the spiraling up line of the, of the serpent killer. He is in our midst in that way. Abel's death was only a bruise, though Seth's, through Seth's line, the serpent would suffer the ultimate death. It was Seth that brought repentance. It was Seth that brought the turning. It was Seth that caused people to call in the name of the Lord, to walk in the name of the Lord, and to rest with the Lord in the middle of the curse. I don't know how it happened. I don't know how he did it. It doesn't explain, but you just see through the pages, probably because it wants you to look in between the pages of your life of God working in the midst of what looks to be a... a a, an imminent and impossible curse in and around your life. And Lamech's voice is on the microphone. It's super loud. And why don't we just, why don't we just all be animals? I mean, that's all we are anyways. And nobody's really good anyways. All the good's with the bad and the bad's with the good. And it doesn't really matter. You just redefine the whole thing and just, just enjoy and just let, let, it, let it go. But God says it rains on the sinners and the saints. And there's wheats and tares that grow at the same pace. And in their due time, God is executing his justice and his mercy and his redemption, ultimately his purpose on the earth in every single moment of our life. And so the question that I would ask for us here as we close, and I'll ask the bandit for it, I actually got done on time. So Timothy's so happy. I mean, just 10 years, think about 10 years, 2009. Where has God turned curses into blessing in your life? And what do you think your answer will be in 2029? Hindsight's not always 2020, but faith is. Faith is always trustworthy. Believing that the promise is still standing, that the promise is still at hand, that, that God is not done working yet. In fact, um, although because the apple, because the fruit, the humans were dead and dying, they looked alive on the outside, they were done on the inside. Although that was the condition, that because of Christ, which is actually working backwards into this downward spiral, theologically speaking, that actually death is now the thing that's dead and dying. And although death looks like it's alive, and although Lamech looks like he has the day, he's already dead. He's a, he's a headless snake. He's, he's got his death rattle going on right now. 
And we have the option, you know, the option to believe that Lamech is still alive. When these people had a reason to believe that he was alive, we've got no reason to believe that because of his scripture, because of his promise, because of his testimony. Can I talk about Kanye West for a second? Of all the Lamechs in the world, I mean, this dude, I mean, I, you know, you have, have your things about him and so forth, but this dude is preaching some truth right now, you know? And it's just going, it's like, it's not really about lines or lineage, it's about faith. God will use the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. That's, the, that's, what, he's, that's what he teaches us. He's using the Seths of the world to shame the Cains. He's using the Noah, the, the Nuachs of the world to shame the Lamechs. That's his business. And, and it's not about storming into Lamech's camp and judging them and telling them why they're wrong or judging. That's, that's not our position. Our job is, is simply this. It's, it's been this before the law, after the law, after Jesus, to call in the name of the Lord, to walk with the Lord, and to ultimately rest in the Lord. Would you stand with me as we just pray and close? God, I thank you, God, that you are, you are telling our story through old stories like these. And um, I really believe that even in simple places like this, man, there is history-changing, life-altering things that are going on. And I just, I ask that you create a, a counterculture in this place, an anti-Lamic culture, a, a restful culture that does not abide by the principles of revenge, Lord God, that it would find its, its full Sabbath rest in you, Jesus. You are worthy. You are truthful. You are strong and mighty in our midst. We love you. Amen. Thanks again for joining us. If you have been encouraged or challenged by this message, please give us feedback by leaving a comment on this podcast. For more information on our church, visit us at www.citylights.cc.